Today on the Good Word, we're talking about cups and communion. In the early Christian church, it was usual for most congregations to share a single cup between all the members for communion. Symbolically, it makes sense. Christians are united in Christ, drawing from the same source. A single cup, a single loaf of bread. But when the world began to understand more about germs and the importance of sanitation, many churches changed to using individual cups or having congregants dip a communion wafer into the shared cup before eating the emblems of Christ's body and blood. The principle remained the same, of course, but perhaps the imagery of sharing a single vessel with the fellow followers of Christ was lost a little because the idea of a shared cup points to an important purpose of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. In his letters to various early Christian congregations, Paul frequently references the ordinance of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. In chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, he describes it with the word communion. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Many churches still use the word communion to describe what another church might call the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or even simply the sacrament. To commune means to share or to hold in common. The act of eating the bread and drinking the water or wine makes us one with Christ, which in turn makes us one with our brothers and sisters around us. We share His promised blessings and our duties as Christians We also hold each other's griefs and pains and sorrows in common. Through this ordinance of remembrance, we rededicate ourselves to following Christ, including our commitment to bear one another's burdens. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland invites us to remember how we can do this as we participate in this holy ordinance. When the sacred hour comes to present our sacrificial gift to the Lord, we do have our own sins and shortcomings to resolve. That's why we're there. But we might be more successful in such contrition if we're mindful of the other broken hearts and sorrowing spirits that surround us, seated not far away in any direction, are some who may have wept outwardly or inwardly through the entire sacramental hymn and the prayers of those priests. Might we silently take note of that and offer our little crust of comfort and our tiny cup of compassion, might we dedicate it to them. Or for the weeping, struggling member who's not in the service, and except for some redemptive ministering on our part, won't be there next week either. Or for our brothers and sisters who are not members of the church at all, but are our brothers and sisters. There's no shortage of suffering in this world inside the church and out. So look in any direction and you'll find someone whose pain is seeming too heavy to bear and whose heartache seems never apparently to end. One way to always remember him would be to join the great physician in his never-ending task of lifting the load from those who are burdened and relieving the pain of those who are distraught. Unity is a characteristic of the Lord's Church. 
it would follow that this right which he instituted to remember him would also compel us to become more compassionate in remembering our fellow human beings. Paradoxically, the easiest way to draw near to our Savior and show that we do remember Him is to remember and serve those around us. This reenactment of the Lord's Supper is not only a renewal of promises to the Lord, but a rededication to help each other. When we take time to remember the Lord on any given Sunday through communion, let us also take a moment to consider who may need our help in that coming week. Drawing near to Him, we also draw near to each other and become His by becoming one, the communion of Christ. And that's the good word 